Amen. Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. At, at this time, our children will be uh, dismissed to the back there. And uh, hey, there are outlines. There should be a teacher back there, right? I see. Is there an adult back there? Okay. Are, are you an adult? Are you an adult? I don't know. You're in the Navy. We can trust you. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, and there are outlines in the back. Um, I was running late today. Um, had a hard time with my eyeliner and things like that. You know, now guys have no excuse, right? I mean, I can get ready like in a minute, right? Take a shower. And if I decide not to take a shower, all I got to do is put on the hat, right? That's why God invented hats, right? You just put a hat on and you're good to go. I have no excuses for running late other than I was running late. Uh, and my wife covered for me, which is great. Um, the cookies are looking good over there. Remember, keep bringing those things in. The table will be up through um, tomorrow. Um, the chaplain's going to probably dress up like he did last year as an elf as he, he, as he passed out these uh, uh, baked goods last year. Um, they're waiting for them, and so it's going to be great. Um, Paul writes these words in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, to the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, so we're in this series, uh, a very important series, uh, a potentially life-changing series, finding freedom in a world that seeks to, to bind us. And the reason I, I said that it's a potentially life-changing series is because the truths of God that we've been looking at will only make a difference in our lives if we actually do them, if we strive to live them out. I mean, like James said, uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Have you ever deceived yourself in that way? That you thought that just listening and knowing the word was somehow, somehow good enough? You know, that word listen carries the idea of to audit, right? I don't know if you ever, ever audited a class. When you audit a class, it's kind of fun, right? You can learn some stuff, but if you don't want to go, you don't have to go, and you don't have to do the assignments, right? You don't have to take any tests. Only problem is you get what? You get zero credit for taking the course. And I got to be honest, in my 40 plus years of being in church, I think there are far too many Jesus followers who are content with auditing the truths of God. And listen, there is zero credit there are zero blessings. There's sometimes there's zero life change if all we do is audit God's word. Jesus said in John 13, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And now that you know some of these truths that will set you free, like how to be set free from angry, now that you know that all you need to do is stop, see that anger is a real problem, take time to assess the situation, what's causing your anger, own your part of the situation and pursue a different path. The, the path of James, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, or the path of Jesus, be angry about what happens to other people, uh, flip tables, not people, and love the people around you, 
right? Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Our theme verse, Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, like a branch to a vine, like the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus, like these things remain, faith, hope, and love, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, freedom from anger and, and worry and stuff and circumstances and hurt. I just don't want us to know how to be set free. I want us to be set free indeed. Amen? Amen. And the heartbeat of the series, the core of the series is for you and I to be able to look those things that want to bind us, like worry and fear and stuff and hurt and circumstances, and to tell them, hey, you're not my master. You're not the boss of me anymore. I'm not going to allow you to control my moods. I'm not going to allow you to control my joy and my hope and my peace and my contentment anymore. You are not my master. It is for freedom that the Son has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again. And man, isn't anger a burden? Isn't carrying on to hurt a burden, right? It isn't fear a burden. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This morning, I, I want to talk about another thing, an area, another way that we find ourselves enslaved. And this morning, I want to talk about finding freedom from comparison. Question, be honest. Has comparison, comparing your lives, comparing your situation to other people, has it ever been your master? Has comparison ever been the boss of you? Have you, after comparing your life, where you are, who you are, to someone else, has it ever, has it ever affected your mood? Has it ever affected your joy, your hope, your confidence, your self-worth? Listen, comparison is a, is a very lousy boss and a very cruel master. How many of you, and, and raise your hands, in this room and at home, are on Facebook or Instagram? I mean, not, not, not right now necessarily, you know, but are you on Facebook or Instagram? Like right now, if you're on Facebook, it's because you're watching the sermon, but you're not like on it now, right? You're not on it now. That wouldn't be very nice, Right? And, and so then, I, I kind of know that you guys have an idea of, of what comparison is all about, right? You know, when Facebook was launched, I didn't realize I had to look it up, it was actually launched on my 44th birthday, right? February the 4th, 2004, by a sophomore at Harvard University. And, and at first, when Facebook came out, the idea was for you and I to be able to keep up with people that we like, right? Over the years, it's kind of morphed in to keeping up with people that we kind of resent. <laughs> uh, and as crazy as it sounds that, I mean, it was a long time ago, 17 years ago, but not long ago, we didn't know so many details about each other's lives, right? I mean, before social media, I did not know about or see how great the food on your plate looked last night for dinner, right? Right? I didn't know how incredible your vacation was. 
how amazing your home looks at Christmas, how cute your kids are at bedtime, how great your new haircut looks, how stunning and happy you and your spouse looked on date night, how adventurous you looked on your latest outdoor excursion. I, I didn't know how far you are able to run now, how much weight you had lost, what college your child was accepted to, how beautiful the sky looked when you woke up in the morning to have your quiet time with God. And you didn't know those things about me either. I, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever scrolled through Facebook or Instagram and began to feel discontented about your own life? Like somehow your kids and your marriage and your home and your vacation, your life was not measuring up. You know, I was working on my message yesterday and my, I call it my, my sermon bunker, and, and, uh, and I scrolled through Facebook and I saw this picture right here. I don't know if you know what that is. That's a picture posted by a friend of mine, Scott Ein, and graduated many years before me from, and it's a, they're opening their brand new building in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and that's a picture of their outdoor baptistry. And I got to tell you, I felt the waves of discontentment in comparison, like a riptide wanting to pull me out. But thank goodness I was working on this message, right? That's beautiful. Have you ever, and have you ever decided, you know what, you're watching this, you're discontent, you know, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to up my game, <laughs> right? I'm going to find a way to take the perfect picture so that I can make you feel a little bit discontent about your life when you look at mine, right? Turn around is fair place. So let me get that perfect, look at our vacation. Yeah, shut up, shut up. You got to take a picture, children, right? And, and have you ever done what I've done? And, and this is pretty lame, right? Because a lot of people want to show pictures when they're with their children, when they are, you know, the children are young or, 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 or when they were recently married. And a, a lot of stuff I have like that, like it's on photographs. And so I don't know about you, but Sometimes I actually take pictures of pictures and post them on Facebook. Like, like here, here's some that I've taken in the past, right? Here's one right here to prove that, hey, I was once young, right? That's Labor Day, 1985, with my daughter Chelsea. Uh, this one I asked for forgiveness rather than permission, right? Uh, you can see that's my son John. That's Leela there right on the bottom. Uh, that's Chelsea. That's me with those monster glasses covering my whole face, right? And my lovely wife, Laurie. And here's one of me right here. Looks like that came out of a 1980s movie, right? You know, uh, by the Washington Monument, right? So it's like th th these, you may not know, th these are like photographs. Let me show you one in case you've never seen one. Like these are photographs. That's all you have, right? This is like when I, my head's cut off at the top. Uh, but that's when my Chelsea graduated from Johnson. But I know it's kind of lame. Uh, but Facebook and Instagram, it can be kind of crazy, it can be kind of lame. It's good and bad. But I tell you, one of, the, one of the greatest things about Instagram and Facebook is that they're a constant reminder, and we all need, need this reminder, that there is no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. You just don't win. And not only is there no win in comparison, there is no freedom in comparison. And that's why... 1220, 2020, we're going to talk about finding freedom from comparison. I don't know about you, but I could use some freedom, right? Because it didn't take long. I tell you, I saw that 
photo? I thought it was Noah's Ark <laughs> and not, not a baptistry. And, and here's how I, I want to attack our conversation this morning. I, I, I want to uh, unpack two statements, real simple statements. Comparison is a major problem. And the second one is godly significance equals freedom. And this is where you're going to find out that the Christmas story comes in. And my goal is really, is really centered this morning is I want you and I to leave this place, stop, stop living for a life of comparison and start striving for a life of godly significance, right? Stop striving for a life of comparison and start living a life pursuing godly significance. Because you know what? Jesus didn't put on flesh and come to this earth for you and I to be enslaved by comparison. For you and I to be enslaved by comparing our lives to the lives of other people. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and thank you for putting up with us. Thank you that you want to set us free. That is for freedom. You set us free. Uh, Father, help us not to be burdened again by a a yoke of slavery. And, And Father, help us to allow you and your truth to set us free. God, I pray for anyone listening in this room or online, God, who's struggling with comparison, who somehow do not feel good about who they are because they're looking at the life of somebody else, that they would lean in this morning and hear your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, comparison, it's a major problem for at least two reasons. Number one, it's not wise. And and Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. And and I, I want to tell you why comparison is not wise. As I said earlier, it's not wise because there's no way to win in comparison. There's no winners. You know, there's no, there's no rings at the end of the game. There's no trophies at the end of the race. You see, comparison really leads to two very destructive emotions. One, a feeling of pride. You know that, hey, I'm doing so much better I'm accomplishing so much more. I am so much further along than they are. Right? Feelings of pride. But we know from Scripture that God hates pride, that God opposes pride, and that pride goes before destruction, and pride often leads to a great fall. The other destructive emotion, if you're not going to feel pride, oh, I'm better than everybody else, it can lead to a feeling that you are deficient. That you are deficient. You know, that you are lacking, that you are defective, that you are inadequate, that, that you are not good enough, that you are insufficient, that you are not as good as others, that you are less than. And, and I, I want to give everyone in this room some advice, and I want to give myself some advice, and that's this. Anything that makes you feel less than, you should remove that from your life. Anything that makes you feel less than, you should remove from your life. So stop looking, stop watching, stop scrolling, stop allowing things into your life that makes you feel less than. Amen? Comparison, it's a major problem. It's not wise. There's no win. 
It's also the wrong reference point. It's also the wrong... You're, you look the lives of other people is not the way to measure yourself. I understand, and I said this before, and I know it here, it hasn't always made the journey to my heart. God did not create you to become someone else. He created you to be you, right? He did not create you to be somebody else. He did not create you to live somebody else's life. He did not create you to accomplish what he's called some other people to accomplish. He created you to be you. And listen, when you stand before him one one day, we all will, I will, he's not going to ask you, why were you not more like so-and-so? He's going to say, Steve, why were you not more like the you that I intended, designed, and created you to be? Why weren't you more like you? Paul says, and some of us, it's one of our many, you say your favorite verse, there's so many of them, right? You could fill up a book. (laughs) Uh, But this one is a classic, right? Uh, For we are God's masterpiece. Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, you are a unique individual masterpiece of all the billions and billions of people that have ever sucked air on this planet, there has been and there never will be anybody just like you. Our God is so creative, he does not do carbon copies, and God simply wants you to be you. I want to make a few statements, and then I'm going to read a quote before we move on to the next reason why it's not wise to compare. And you may want to lean into these statements and quote. Here's a good, good, good thing. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today, right? Hey, who were you yesterday? You know, as I like to say, our walk with Christ, it's not about perfection, it's about progress, right? You know, a half a step is still a half a step, right? You know? So stop comparing yourself to where people are today. Start comparing yourself to you, where you were yesterday. And here's another one, because it doesn't mean we're not supposed to look at the lives of other people, right? But we're to look at the lives of other people for inspiration, to be inspired, but not for imitation, right? Not to be them, right? But we can be inspired by them. And there's a big difference between inspiration and thinking you have to imitate their life exactly. And this quote here has been a favorite of mine for for years. Whenever comparison gets its grip on me and I start feeling less than, is by John Eldridge in his book, Waking the Dead. And I think maybe somebody in this room or listening online right now needs to hear this. You are not what you think you are. There is a glory to your life that your enemy fears, and he's hell-bent on destroying that glory before you act on it. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows who you could be and fears it. There's a glory to your life. There's a life that God wants you to live, and the enemy is terrified that you would live it, and so he'd love to get you distracted thinking you're supposed to live somebody else's life. Comparison is not wise. There's no win. It's the wrong reference point. And because 
third, it can lead to a tragic consequence. The classic example is King Saul, first king of Israel. Did some good things. Started out really, really, really good. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that would be Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul and singing and dancing and joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but my kingdom? Right, okay. See, when he began to compare his life to the life of David, he went off the tracks, and he literally lost his own life. Listen, and this is so important. You know, uh, I need to hear it. It's amazing the things I can teach and write and all that that I still got to figure out and actually live out. You'll never experience God's purpose for your life while distracted by God's purposes for someone else's life. Just never will. Saul got distracted for God's purposes. His purposes were still good. I mean, God still had a plan for Saul, but he got so distracted by what God wanted to do in David's life that he lost the life that God had for him. So yeah, comparison, it's a major problem. It's not wise. And then in Ecclesiastes 4, we see another reason why comparison's a problem. Check this out. Solomon writes Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. And I saw that all toil and all achievement sprang from one person's envy of another. All, everything that everybody was doing came from one place because people were envying one another. They were comparing themselves to one another. You see, Solomon was a very wise guy. He'd been around a lot, and God had given him a lot of wisdom. And he says, hey, here's what I've noticed. Here's my observation is that everybody is competing with everybody else. And that everybody is measuring where they are, measuring their success by comparing themselves to somebody else. Everybody's determining where they are based on where someone else is. Sound familiar? People are determining where they are based on where someone else is. And Solomon says that this is, it's, it's crazy, it's ridiculous. Actually, he uses a different phrase. Solomon says this. That, that to behave this way, he says, this too is what? It's meaningless. That it's pointless. That it, it, it makes no sense to live this way. That it gets you nowhere, at least nowhere good. And, and then Solomon, he, he gives us this very powerful word picture in, in this verse. And it's a word picture that I, I think God wants you and I to hold on to so that whenever comparison starts to pull us into its riptide and take us under that we hold on to this truth to realize what is really happening and how dangerous it is. Here's what he says. This too is meaningless. It is what? He calls it a what? A chasing after the wind. You ever try to do that? It gets windy around here. I encourage you to come out here today and spend some time chasing the wind. And let me know how it goes, right? right? I mean, that's a powerful image, right? 
When you chase the wind, it's pointless, right? There's no end, right? It's not going to end. There is no finish line. There's no way you'll ever be able to grab a hold of it. It's unquenchable. It's insatiable. And it's just going to wear you out, right? You know, trying to live up to other people and live the life that they're living is just going to wear you out. It's a chasing after the wind. Understand, when you chase the wind, there will always be an error, right? Because his is newer. Hers is nicer. Their kids are smarter, cuter. Their home is bigger. He is faster. Their job is better. When you're chasing the wind, when you're chasing after the lives of other people, comparing your life to theirs, there's always going to be a bigger er out there. Get it? Good. It just never ends. You, know, that, you can't even enjoy the stuff that you do have, the things that you have accomplished. Check out what he writes just one verse later, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 6. He says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. In other words, it's better to have one handful of what you were designed to do and were created for than to have two handfuls when one of those handfuls is just stressing you out. Because you're trying to keep up with somebody that you were never intended to keep up with. Get it? Good. See, tranquility, even if you have less, is better than having more and losing your peace, losing yourself. Now, tranquility, that's not a word that we use that much, right? I mean, I don't use it that much, but because Solomon said it, I'm using it today, but I can't remember the last time I used the word tranquility, but it basically means satisfaction. It means contentment. It's getting... It's coming home at the end of the day and just say, I did my best and I'm fine. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's laying in bed at night and having peace because you're not stressed out trying to become someone and accomplish things that you were not called, designed, or created to accomplish. It's being totally okay with who God created you to be. And accomplishing what he intended for you to accomplish. On the other hand, living a life of chasing after the wind, living a life of comparison, determining who you are based on where someone else is, always leaves you wanting and always leaves you feeling less than. Because it's an appetite, it's a wind that you can never catch. That's why Solomon says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You see, less is more when it leads to contentment, when it leads to peace, when it leads to peace with yourself and who you are, and when it leads to peace with those who you are around and care about the most. You see, it is better to have one handful with contentment 
than to be grasping and striving and pretending and editing and cropping and retaking and retaking and retaking and retaking, trying to get that perfect image to show the world that you matter. You know, chasing after the wind, it'll just wear you out. It'll beat you down. And for some of you, that's why you got off Facebook or Instagram, right? Because every time you went on, you're like, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. Oh my gosh, my husband's a loser, my husband's a loser, my kids. My, you're like, wow, I just feel, I, I don't need this anymore. This, I, I got to get this out of my life. Listen, anything makes you feel less than, you need to remove it from your life. Now, the enemy doesn't want you to, right? Guess what? He wants you to feel less than, right? God doesn't want you to feel less than. We need to find freedom from comparison because it's a major problem. It's not wise. There's no win. It's a wrong point of reference. It can have tragic consequences. And it's nothing more than chasing after the win. And listen, listen. You'll never experience God's purposes for your life while distracted by God's purposes for someone else's life. Repeat after me at home too. I will never experience God's purpose for my life when I am distracted by God's purpose for someone else's life. We'll do that one more time. I will never experience God's purpose for my life when I am distracted by God's purpose for someone else's life. Amen. That's true. You know, and this week, I, you know, like I said, not one of these things we've talked about is not an issue for me, Right? Fear, worry, stuff, you name it, hurt, circumstances, they all can be my master at times, and as well as comparison, as you saw from that beautiful picture uh, from my friend Scott Eining. And, 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 and this week I kept asking myself, like, why do we compare? Like, why do we keep doing it, even though it's really not that pleasant for us, right? You know, what, what drives us to keep doing this, to, to jump into those Riptide ways of comparison, and, and, and I thought about it a lot, and this is my conclusion. I'm not saying it's the conclusion on the matter. I'm just saying that it's my conclusion, right? And, and I think that one of the reasons we compare is because we want our lives to matter. We want to count. We want to be significant. We want our lives to matter. And this brings us to the Christmas story. And the next point in our conversation, godly significance equals freedom. And here's what I'm convinced of. You know, it's not, see, it's not enough for us to say, you know what? Comparison, not wise, no win, deadly consequences, wrong reference point. It's a chasing after win, comparison bad. I shouldn't do it, right? It's not enough. See, we have to replace this desire to compare with the desire for something else, with the pursuit of something else. And that pursuit is the pursuit of significance. 
And every one of us want to be significant. We want to matter. We want to count, right? I mean, raise your hand if you want to be insignificant and you want your life not to matter, right? Okay. But in our world, right, our world has a, a crazy way of measuring significance, doesn't it? Like, if you look good and have the goods, right, you know, got the right job, right, have the, have a right amount of money, right, then you're, you're significant. But even then, there's always an error, right? So you never actually, you never actually make it. Um, the good news is that, that God has a different economy on significance, right? You know, remember Isaiah said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. Well, it's definitely that way when it comes to significance. And when it comes to significance with God, it all boils down to a matter of the, of the heart. Uh, there's a verse that I've loved for years. You probably love it too. First uh, Samuel 16, verse 7. You know, um, context is, right, because Saul was distracted by David's life, he derailed his kingship, and Samuel's going to anoint the next king. He's going to Jesse's house. Jesse has eight sons. The youngest son, David, is left out in the fields. Uh, the eldest son, Eliab, is brought before the prophet Samuel. Samuel sees him and says, man, this has got to be the one. Man, he's, he's a big guy. He's great looking. He has got to be the one. And, and I love what the Lord said to Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or height, for I rejected him. I, I love this. This is good news, right? The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? Looks at the heart. Looks at the heart. And, and, and what we see in the, in the Christmas story is... Three individuals, or you know, we see people that the world would say were insignificant. But God looked at their heart and said, hey, you know what? These are pretty significant people. And I, I would think that the parents, the man and woman that God would choose to be the mom and dad of Jesus are pretty significant, Right? But we'd have to be honest that if we were given the job of selecting the parents, right, of, of God the Son, we probably not, would not have picked a blue-collar carpenter from a town with a bad rap and a middle school teenage girl, right? Um, we would have picked wealthy parents. We would have picked influential parents, right? We would not have picked them in a million years. But there was a reason that God picked them, and that reason goes to the heart. There was something about their heart that God found significant. Uh, Joseph. Now you can, you can read the text. You know, you know the story in Matthew 1, verse 19 through 26. When Joseph engaged to Mary, he finds out that, that Mary is pregnant. He doesn't know what to do. You know, he's upset. He's hurt. But then an angel shows up and lets him know, hey, here's what the deal is, Right? Uh, she hasn't been unfaithful to you. This is of God. You, you need to raise him up. You need to name him Jesus. You need to take Mary home as your wife. And I love these words right here. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. And none of that stuff made sense to him, right? But when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. And, and here's something about godly significance. 
Godly significance equals a faithful heart that obeys even when things don't add up or make sense, right? There's no way that that made sense. That's no way that added up. But godly significance is a faithful heart that obeys even when things don't add up or make sense. God, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand it, but I'm going to obey because it's what you have called me to do. Then we have Mary, right? Gabriel comes down, breaks the news to her, some pretty crazy news. I mean, I, could, I can't imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, ladies, could you imagine you know, when you're 14, 16 years old, an angel showing up in your bedroom? You know, you're looking at albums for your wedding dress and an angel shows up, right? You're picking out wedding invitations, right? And this angel shows up and tells you that, hey, you know what? You're highly favored by God, and God wants you to be the mother of his son, right? You know, and she doesn't understand it, doesn't make sense, and the angel tells her, hey, nothing is impossible with God. And, and I love her response. I love her response, right? I mean, she could have responded like Moses. Remember when God called Moses? Moses like, Full of excuses. Nah, I don't speak well. You know, uh, you get somebody else. I just don't want to do it. What if they don't believe me? I don't even know your name. You know, I just, she didn't do that. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Hey, my life is yours. My life exists to serve you. You know, it, it's not my story. It's your story. It's not my script. It's your script. Whatever you want, God, that's what, that's what, that's what I want. And here's a lesson about godly significance we see here. Godly significance equals a faithful heart, willing to serve God at any time and in any way. It's a, it's a way to say, God, here's how I'm going to serve you. I said, no, God, God, I'm your servant. Anytime, in any way, I am willing to serve you. Question, would those words describe you? You know, God, anytime, any way, that's my heart, God. Anytime, any way, I am your servant. May it be to me, whatever you want for me, God, that's what I want for me. That's godly significance. It's a matter of the heart. That's something worth pursuing, right? And, and that keeps us away from the pull of the riptide of comparison by pursuing something better, something higher, something nobler, something grander. And the next are the shepherds, right? You know, we like the shepherds today, right? We sing songs about shepherds. We put shepherds on our Christmas cards. We put them in our nativity scenes, put them on our front yards. But they were not like high-class citizens. You know, they... Most were migrants, they ate with sheep, they slept with sheep, therefore they probably smelled like sheep. Uh, you know, when the upper class walked by shepherds, they would go to the other side of the road, right? They weren't. And so if God said, hey, I want you to choose a group of people for me to make the greatest announcement of human history, do you think you would have picked them? If you didn't know the story, you say, hey, well, I'm going to send... I'm going to send the angels to Athens to talk to great philosophers, right? 
I'm going to send them right in the middle of the next meeting of the Sanhedrin. You know what? I'm going to send them to Rome. So he can tell the emperor, you know what? The true king, the king of kings, is about to be born. But instead, God chooses to make the great announcement to shepherds. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. The angels light up the sky. And we read this. They tell them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then this massive choir shows up, praising God. And then we read in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When Mary, I mean, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them and this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So what did God see in their hearts? See, I, what he saw in their hearts was a, a faithful heart, faithful hearts that were passionate about Jesus. And, and we see this passion for Jesus in, in two ways. I mean, it's right there. Number one, they were passionate to see Jesus. The shepherds, right when the angels left, the shepherds said, let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us, so they hurried off. They ran. They couldn't wait. You ever wonder what they did with their sheep? Probably just left them, right? Like Peter, James, John, Andrew left their nets. Because seeing Jesus was more important, right? I mean, why hang around with sheep when you can see the Savior? Quick question, are, are, you, are you passionate about seeing Jesus? Is your heart passionate about seeing Jesus? I mean, you know the answer, right? Is, it, is your heart passionate about being in his word? Is it passionate about being in worship, being in his church, being in prayer? Being in praise of him, being in his presence. Are you passionate about seeing Jesus? Like, man, like nothing is more important to me than seeing Jesus. And not only were the shepherds passionate about seeing Jesus, they were passionate about spreading the news about Jesus. I love this. When they had seen him, they went home and celebrated together. No. When they'd seen him, they did what? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. That the Savior has been born this day in Bethlehem. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. I love it. Yeah, they didn't keep it to themselves. They told other people. They were passionate about telling other people about Jesus. Are we? Are you? Am I? I mean, it's great that we want to see Jesus. That's, but, do we, do we, but there's a lot of people that need to see what we have seen and need to know what we know and need to have this salvation that we've experienced. You know, that picture that I showed of that beautiful baptistry, it's their grand opening, and, and, and uh, Andy Hansen uh, used to be the president of Christ in Youth, 
I love the comment he made on Facebook. He, he writes about this beautiful picture that Scott put up. It's going to be awesome to see all the pictures of people being united with Christ in baptism in the future. That's the meaning of Christmas, right? That's what it's all about, right? You know, that's the meaning of Christmas, you know? And, and so I just ask you, you know, is there anyone that you need to tell? Is there a family member? Is there a friend? Is there a coworker? Is there a neighbor? Is there anyone you need to tell the good news about Jesus? No, you'll probably be around some family members, right, coming up, right? Maybe, right? It's a little bit different this year, but you may be around some people that need to know what you know. You know, and it's so great that you and I want to see Jesus and we love Jesus and we love to worship Jesus. We want to lift our hands to Jesus, right? We want to read Bible passages about Jesus. But we also need to be passionate about spreading the word about him because there's a lost world that really needs a savior. And that was the good news the shepherds just had to tell, right? And, and you know what? I love how I said, and the people who heard it were amazed what they heard. If somebody you tell me, maybe they may be amazed, you know, to find out that they're worthy of God's love, to find out that all their sins could be forgiven. Godly significance is a much better thing to strive for than comparison. And again, I, I really do think, you know, if it hasn't worked well for you, just say no to comparison, right? You still fall into the trap. I would suggest that you make a decision to pursue godly significance, that you work to develop a heart that obeys God even when things don't add up, that you strive to have a heart that says, God, you know what? Anytime, anywhere, anything, I am yours all the time right? And have a heart that says, Jesus, man, you're the one I want to see. You're the one I want to be with, but I just don't want to be with you. I want to tell others about you. Question, as we close, are you tired of chasing the wind? Are you tired of choosing a way that's not wise? Are you tired of measuring who and where you are based on where someone else is. Then just don't say no to comparison. Just don't say no to chasing the wind. Say yes and start pursuing godly significance and allow the sun to set you free because you are who God says you are and who God wants you to become. Father God, we humbly come before you and it's so good to see you pick such unlikely people, smelly shepherds, blue collar worker, callous hands, dirt under his nails and a confused teenage girl. Because that means you pick us too. Father, it's so hard to live in this world, God, and not compare ourselves to the lives of other people and the things they've accomplished and then to feel less than and 
And God, I, I pray that we will pursue significance in you. I, I pray that the truths that I have tried to share today will resonate, you know, in my heart, God, because chasing after wind just wears me out. It has gotten me nowhere good, and it's beat me down and made me feel less than far too often. But God, I, I can choose a different path. We can choose a different path. We can choose to develop a heart of faithful obedience, even if it doesn't make sense, a heart that obeys, a heart of service anytime, anywhere, anyplace, anyway. And a heart that just wants to see you. And God, when we really see you, we cannot help but spread the word about you. God, thank you for this time we've had to be in your word. And as we sing this song, may some of its truth resonate with us as we prayer our hearts and minds to celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, amen.